Welcome, everyone. Um, we are pleased and honored today to have Dr. Dan Frank. He's the Chief Medical Officer of Optum Care. Optum Care has over 50,000 physicians in care delivery organizations across the United States. Welcome, Dan. And uh, where are you zooming in from today? Well, thank you so much for inviting me to uh, chat a little bit with you guys. And I am actually joining you from about 25 miles west of Minneapolis in Minnesota. Oh, great. Yeah. Like we were talking before, like I love Minnesota. I grew up in Minnesota. Um, and it's like uh, every once in a while, I'll get this Minnesota accent that'll come out. So um, I'm uh, really pleased that you could join us today. You know, we talked a little bit about, we'd love to know more about you, Dan, um, and kind of your background journey. Um, can you tell us in like six words, your, your life story, your background? So six words is a challenge, but I guess if I had to keep it that brief, <laughs> I would say uh, a kinetic, um, experiential, and uh, five different states. I think that's more than six words, but <laughs> yeah, that's great though. Um, you know, I, I assume that you'd be full of energy because, um, you're, uh, got a big responsibility with all the care delivery organizations and Optum care sites. So we're really excited to, to hear more about your perspectives on care delivery. Um, you know, at Nava Health, senior care is like really important to us. And I'm wondering if you have a memory of a grandparent or a, a senior when you were growing up that was impactful for you. Yeah, sure. Uh, I think, you know, when I think about my grandparents, grandparents in particular, there's one story that always sticks in my mind. And it was that, that, that time when I realized that my grandparents were actually people and not just uh, my grandparents. And mm -hmm. the story that resonates is I must have been maybe seven or eight. And we were at my uh, father's parents' a house actually in Brooklyn uh, for the holidays. Mm -hmm. And I wandered into the kitchen uh, to find my grandma pouring canned soup into a pot that she was then preparing to serve to all of us at the table. And I, and I still remember looking at her, her looking back at me, kind of being a little disappointed and shocked that I caught her pouring the can and her just saying to me, well, you didn't really think I made the soup myself anyway, did you? And me actually being very disappointed and thinking, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I always right. thought I made the soup. And so, yeah. goodness, 40 something years later, I, I can still see that moment in my mind. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny, those moments that resonate as a kid. Um, I'll tell you one quick story is my grandmother, again, up in northern Minnesota, farmland, um, she loved the Minnesota Twins. She literally, I can remember this day, every, whenever I'd go into her home, the twins would be on in the background. She'd be listening to baseball almost every day during the summer. And I can still remember it to this day. So, well, so Dan, um, we're really in this kind of historic and unprecedented year with the coronavirus pandemic. Um, and COVID-19 has uh, impacted all aspects of our lives, especially when it comes to health, healthcare, and public health, right? 
So how has the pandemic, you know, kind of exposed some of the flaws of our healthcare system and love, you know, at a high level, can you tell us what your perspective is on what our healthcare system maybe could have done better with the pandemic? Sure. So I think, you know, when I think of what the last year has been, you know, like much of the industry, it's really been about the need to rapidly pivot and get our arms around how do we provide care in this changing environment. And in Optum Care, really, that was defined first and foremost by us uh, as we pivoted to telehealth. Uh, in fact, in our organization, in just the first six weeks of the pandemic, we put over 10,000 uh, Optum Care providers on telehealth platforms in, in six weeks. So I don't remember running so fast at anything in my entire career. And over the past 12 months, we've actually delivered north of 1.2 million uh, patient visits uh, via telehealth across the organization. And what's interesting, um, much like the rest of the industry, uh, we saw our hospital admissions drop to an all-time low, especially for our seniors, as people really actively avoided the ER. So for example, in April, our admits per thousand across the care delivery footprint nationally bottomed out at about 140, again, for our senior population. Uh, we're just two months earlier, we were running about 200, which is still quite good, but nothing compared to 140. And simultaneously, we saw our sniff length of stay, uh, which we averaged about 16 across the country in care delivery. We saw that uh, jump up to about 18. And we saw some of our markets uh, experience uh, lengths of stay that were nearly twice that as people really struggled uh, to manage appropriate discharge transitions and you know, a lot of confusion over who was going where. And what I think is so interesting about that, when you talk about our healthcare system and what we've learned and caring for seniors and whatnot, is that as a general rule, our outcomes during this time frame really remained unchanged for the majority of these disease states, COVID obviously being uh, different. And this really suggests to me something that I've always believed, which is that within our healthcare system, uh, we tend to inappropriately utilize the ER, and we tend to have a tremendous amount of folks who are admitted uh, who really don't need to be. And I think it also brought to light, um, again, much more clearly something we had all known, which is that our system is so, so siloed, and that when we are siloed, um, we can't move the ball forward and we can't improve care. But what we found in the crisis is that people really broke down those silos and we really were able to put those barriers aside and enhance our partnerships across the system to take care of patients. You know, I mentioned telehealth being one example, but I'll give you another very specific example within that. Um, we were able to leverage our physicians, care teams, providers, partnerships across the system and identified our uh, highest risk congestive heart failure patients and really put in place these rapid pivot programs where we were connect, connecting with them sometimes as much as two or three times a week, much more proactively, often by the physician themselves and making changes and adjustments to their medication and care and uh, actually did a really fantastic job of keeping those folks outside of the hospital. So really what, what I step back and think about it is, is you know, we proved that there is indeed overutilization. We mm -hmm. proved that we can really work together and we've proved that when there's motivation for all parties, the patient, right, in this case, not wanting to go to seek care because of the additional concerned risk, 
you know, yeah. providers needing to provide care and then the system to keep everybody healthy, that it's pretty amazing what we can actually do. And so hopefully, hopefully the best pieces of this stick with us even past the crisis. Yeah, I mean, as far as the, you know, um, this pivot to telehealth, um, I remember before COVID, there were a lot of concerns about, you know, just the ability for patients to utilize telehealth and concerns, frankly, from doctors that maybe this isn't the best modality. Were those concerns adequately addressed as you um, got uh like larger scale adoption? So I think we've started to address them. And I do think there is a lot of validity to those concerns, mm -hmm. uh, but the speed at which we moved, um, you know, A, we've been able to make incremental improvement. I'll give you two examples. One is we really did indeed have quite a number of seniors who did not either have the technology, couldn't use the technology. And frankly, especially in our most vulnerable didn't necessarily have access to the internet or Wi-Fi uh, to be able to yeah. use it. And so we purchased uh, about 2,500, 3,000 tablets across OptumCare okay. uh, with cellular internet. And we've worked to distribute those in a rotating fashion to the seniors who needed them the most to really get at that underserved demographic. We also found that there really was and still is quite a bit of a learning curve with the providers themselves, right? Mm -hmm. We have some providers who uh, are very uncomfortable delivering care that way. And we've had to make a, a real investment both in training um, mm -hmm. and in uh, supporting them to be able to deliver that care. Uh, one of the facts though, I think that kind of speaks to the fact that, you know, again, when you focus on things, you can do just about anything. When we first put folks on those telemedicine modalities, we were finding somewhere around 60% of the medical conditions that we were tracking, uh, we were addressing via those digital visits. And last time we checked, maybe a month or two ago, we were closer to 80, 85%, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, I wish we had had more time to ramp up <laughs> yeah, um, and not have to go so fast. But, you know, providers are learning, we're adaptable, right? As long as you provide them the support, you know, I'm confident we'll be able to, to get that 80% into the 90s uh, as to what can be addressed virtually. But I also think, you know, not everything can be addressed nor should be addressed via that modality. So I think we have a lot to, to learn um, about well, where and how. Yeah, I'll just have to, I have to congratulate you because um, like in, in my practice, like I said, I was a surgeon and in order to actually get surgeons or even other uh, physicians to change their practice patterns because they're so used and so comfortable to, to being able, and really believing that the way they were practicing was the, the right way to deliver that care. So to be able to, to pivot and be able to do that right way of delivering care through a different modality, I think speaks really well to the leadership that you, know, you and your team are providing that we can still deliver great care to our patients, even with that change in modality. Um, so congratulations on that. You know, one thing that does come up a lot at Nava Health is this fragmentation and the handoff. So as you know, in you know, residency and as in training as a physician, we always got concerned with the handoff 
and that transition of care. Um, so NAVA Health is really instrumental in navigating for a senior that handoff to the nursing homes. But I have to say it was concerning when we early in the pandemic saw that 35, 40% of COVID-19 deaths were occurring in nursing homes. What do you think we should be doing differently to protect these vulnerable seniors that um, were in the, in the nursing homes? Yeah, so I think that, you know, within the context of COVID specifically, right? And I think about the, the way that this crisis evolved, right? We didn't know what we didn't know at the beginning, right? Yeah. And so I think there was just a normal, unfortunate learning curve in terms of how do you test for it? How do you isolate? How do you best provide care to those in the nursing homes, right? And so um, I think some of that was, I don't want to say unavoidable, but I think some of that was just the reality of the, the situation and about how quickly uh, we learned it. I do think it, it pulls forward, though, for future learning, right? Yeah. These patients uh, who, are, who are most vulnerable, whether that's in an assisted living facility, nursing home, or any other uh, type of facility, right? You know, we have to make sure that we have systems in place uh, to really uh, protect them across the, the entire continuum, right? And so, you know, in retrospect, uh, we should have had more testing uh, available to us in more of these facilities up front, yeah. right? You know, in retrospect, um, some of what we did in terms of how we accepted and um, or accepted and or in some cases didn't accept transfers uh, could have yeah. been done differently. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I do think that, um, the system has done a good job of responding to that now. And I think we've put a lot more in place uh, for those patients. You know, I'm, I'm very proud of uh, some of our teams. Uh, we also have uh, providers that are in a lot of these facilities providing, uh, providing care as a supplement uh, to the nursing homes. And, uh, you know, we've done a, a lot in terms of trying to help make testing available. Obviously, we're participating meaningfully in the vaccine rollout and distribution. Mm -hmm. So... Hopefully we don't have to go through anything like this ever again, but yeah. I think we've learned again a lot of how we can pull together, right? Well, frankly, a lot of the um, care uh, delivery, like the clinicians, were, were really heroic in their efforts to, you know, safeguard the, the seniors and keep them, you know, as, as safe as possible. Um, I think there were some system issues as you were describing that we, we now have learned from um, so that we can um, be able to move past that and, and do things much differently in that care transition. Um, you know, I'm really interested in your uh, and Optum Care's approach to these chronically frail uh, seniors. And um, it does seem like, I, I'll just tell you this, I remember when I was taking care of dialysis patients um, and doing vascular access, the complexity to the, the this type of patient population where they have multiple specialists that are involved with their care. But I know that you and Optum Care you know, kind of cross over all of the um, fragmentation, but how does it, how does 
your learnings from COVID also help you with managing the kind of the complex chronically ill senior? Yeah, so I would say that, you know, our care model in, in Optum Care has always been based around the doctor-patient relationship, right? So the core to us, obviously, we're here to take care of patients, but we're here to take care of patients through the lens of an empowered uh, physician, right? In our world, that is generally the primary care uh, doctor, but we're really looking and we are putting that person at the center of uh, the care universe and really looking to connect all the resources around that physician and patient, right? So whether that's through communication with uh, teams like yourself at Navi, uh, whether that is with, you know, our social workers who can help us addressing social determinants, uh, frankly, whether that's with all sorts of uh, fun technology solutions, right? Uh, whether it, you know, AI for helping to identify uh, better ways yeah. to intervene or, or digital health, like I mentioned. Mm -hmm. And so what this crisis has proven to us again, right, is that if you invest in that relationship and you empower that team, patient and physician, right, mm -hmm. to do what's in the best interest of the patient and to dialogue, that you will get the best outcomes uh, defined first and foremost by what's important to the patient mm -hmm. and then, gen you know, also defined as what's, uh, you know, best for the system. And, you know, one of the things I like a lot about our model, you know, within care delivery, we do span traditional fee-for-service all the way through towards fee-for-value uh, and global risk arrangements across the country. Yep. But I think where we aspire to be and where we're evolving is if you can really get to that true um, global risk, right, that expectation where the physician and the physician's team and resources are truly and, and honestly responsible for that patient and a, and a patient population, right, that they can drive to best outcomes and are empowered to coordinate all that care. Um, and I think that's where our model has been successful, right? Yeah, and, and I think the, the progress that you're making in that model, I, I remember, this was decades ago, but um, first learning about kind of the value-based care, so initially it was just seeing a patient who was in front of you and that that was the primarily the physician's job. Now, when I first learned about value-based care, it's really caring for that patient when they're not in front of you and how you organize your team to do that well. And to me, that was kind of the epitome of, okay, this is how we execute on that triple aim, quadruple aim of value-based care is understanding what's happening to your patient outside of your office. Um, I see that as part of what you're in, in Optum Care. Um, you did mention the, the social determinants of health or the non-clinical factors. Um, and, you know, this is becoming more and more critical to doing what we just talked about. Are there other things that you're doing in addressing those non-clinical factors for, for health? Yeah, so, you know, I think first and foremost, right, as, as you mentioned, right, we, we've all 
finally come to acknowledge the uh, super important role that those play in a person's health. And what I think is hilarious about that or, or uh, interesting at, at, at least is that it's almost like we've rediscovered that, you know, as, as a family physician, I would say, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, the original family docs, we all knew that, right? <laughs> when yeah. we were taking care of folks in small towns and, and, and mm-hmm. back before medicine became perhaps so siloed, it, it was never a question that these things were important. So I'm really glad that we're rediscovering it and reemphasizing yeah. it. You know, we've put a tremendous amount of effort into first and foremost, how do we ask all those questions? How do we talk to our patients about transportation, safety, food insecurity, and so on and so forth down the line? And then because of our risk model, we are uniquely positioned and empowered right. to address them. So a couple of interesting things over the last several months, we actually formalized um, the our agreements with both Lyft and Uber. And we're now leveraging Lyft and Uber regularly at our cost in an at-risk model to provide transportation benefits for our patients above and beyond what they would normally be entitled to. And whether that's helping call a Lyft for them or Uber for them to help them get their vaccine or to help get them to the office because we need to see them. Uh, We've also invested tremendously in um, food and addressing, uh, you know, the nutrition and meal needs. Um, We have... In Florida and Texas alone, uh, over the last several months, prior to the most recent series of uh, unfortunate events in Texas, but just yeah. related to COVID, you know, we were able to provide over 32,000 meals to our patients who needed them. Um, and we're doing that kind of regularly across the country, right? Because if you are, let's say, a poorly controlled diabetic and you don't have access to food, I can give you all the medications in the world. What you really need is, uh, you know, a considered diet and access to the right food and the healthy foods. And that's going to keep you in better stead than me or anyone else writing you 10 more prescriptions, right. Or yelling at you about why your sugars aren't controlled. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's phenomenal. Um, and, and to your point, I do remember when family docs had the entire care continuum, everything from when you were in the hospital, there wasn't really a hospitalist service. It was, you know, the family doc came to visit you in the hospital. And then when you showed up in the office, he knew everything that had happened in the hospital. Um, but medicine has moved where it's so much more complex. And, you know, that model of, of a family doc being able to do everything, I think is, is, really, um, is really just not um, able to continue. But your team-based model that you just described that adds in solutions for social determinants of health, I think are, is one that care coordination um, is really uh, important for that model. What do you think the, the, um, the impact of you taking on financial risk across the continuum versus fee-for-service? Because as you just described, your care model is um, much more robust in those things. But in a traditional fee-for-service model, it would be really hard to do all of that. So how important is that financial risk in order to take better care of patients? Yeah, so I believe that taking on full financial risk is critical because I believe that taking on full financial risk is really the only way um, to remove a lot of the potentially conflicting stakeholder um, 
incentives or needs, right? And really getting it all back to, am I doing the right thing for my patient and providing the best care, right? Because if you're at risk for a patient, number one, you are responsible for that total cost of care. And number two, if you're not providing the best care and the care that's in line with that patient's values, beliefs, and desired outcomes, that patient's going to go someplace else. Have this balancing set of forces between doing what's best for the patient, uh, with doing what's best for the population uh, as a whole uh, as well. Now, I do also believe that not everybody uh, at every place across the country and every group is situated immediately to go to full risk, right? It's a, it's a journey and mm-hmm. you often have to start with what we would more typically uh, refer to as value-based arrangements, right? Where yeah. you take on more and more of the risk uh, when you're doing that, you drive incremental improvement uh, and value for all parties. And then as you build the skill, uh, build the services, uh, build the muscle memory, so to speak, uh, you can move towards uh, global risk. But again, you know, to me, it's all about the patient <laughs> and the yeah. relationship of the patient with the physician and, and his or her care team. And what risk is so good at is making sure that those key parties all have the same goal. Yeah. Right. And, and whether it's true in medicine, it's true in sports, it's true in anything else in this universe. Right. Yeah. You've got a team of folks together and everybody has the same goal. You can get to that goal much faster than if people have different agendas, goals or um, perspectives. You know, that's really well said, I have to say, you know, you, you've articulated behind, you know, the, the tailwinds of value based care and financial risk at its essence is being able to take care of a individual better because you now are aligned, you know, as a team and as a, as a, as a caregiver to meeting the needs of that, that individual. So I think that is really well said. Do you think, I mean, this has been coming for a long time. Um, Do you think there's still tailwinds for that? Or do you think there's going to be, um, still a lot of inertia to get um, you know, care delivery more um, fully invested into the value-based care models? Uh, I think that there continues to be strong desire and momentum to move to value-based care, right? I think we've even seen it recently more so from the government in terms of some of the new contracting models that they're looking to promote, uh, yeah. whether it's the geographic or the direct-based uh, care models, yeah. right? everybody realizes that our current system is just unsustainable, no matter how you measure it. You can measure it financially, it's unsustainable. You can measure it in terms of patient satisfaction, it's unsustainable. You can measure it in terms of physician and clinician satisfaction, right? We're burning out at exceptionally high rates across the country. So it is not sustainable. And I believe that all the key players are recognizing that the only way to change that paradigm is to move towards value. And so, you know, where we are growing at a very rapid pace yeah. and we're moving into value in markets, for example, in Northeast where, you know, value-based care certainly lagged, let's say in the New York, New Jersey area compared to mm-hmm. Southern California, right? Mm-hmm. People would have said it's been lagging by decades, uh, but mm-hmm. I think we're seeing um, that pace pick up tremendously and, and we're starting to take more and more meaningful global risk in the Northeast, so. 
I that's, think it's changing. That's really encouraging. I mean, I'm so pleased to hear you say that. Um, so just to kind of round this out, um, I would like your thoughts on, you know, the role of the physician. Um, so physicians and that you had mentioned earlier, kind of that, that trusting physician-patient relationship, which I think is really part of that art of medicine that in sometimes in our modern world and in all of the things that are happening, it really does kind of get down to, you know, a trusted relationship that someone you can rely on. Um, with all of this happening, how, how, what's your perspective on this, the role of the physician to really lead healthcare into the, to the next level? Yeah, so I would say that the role of the physician is, as you mentioned, right, it is clearly to lead um, this transformation. And I would go st one step further and I would say it's actually our obligation uh, to lead it. When you talk about value-based care and doing the right thing for stakeholders, right, medicine is very complicated. It is not as simple as selling widgets, right? Yeah. And so... And on top of that, you've got this tremendous information um, a disconnect between the different stakeholders, right? You know, how much can a patient know about his or her health condition in the moment? How much can a patient know about the constantly changing uh, evidence base, uh, the yeah. way healthcare financing is working, and so on and so forth? And so I feel like the physician is in a unique spot. Uh, to understand both the obligation of why we went into medicine, right? We, we, for the vast majority of us, we went here to, to do well and to take care of people. And so we have that kind of centering core guiding principle. Mm -hmm. And we're also best situated to understand the other complexities, uh, in many cases, the business models. Mm -hmm. And so I think we can reconcile some of those disparate uh, goals, disparate stakeholder um, opinions and perspectives in a way that nobody else can. Yeah, um, so I, I think, you know, uh, that's really well said, the, the physician as a leader, um, being part of that team that does lead, and then also kind of understanding uniquely um, a patient holistically. Um, I think that's really well said. Um, well, Dr. Frank, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. We're, um, this has been just a, a delight and uh, thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity, appreciate it.